Good morning. That was an awesome video. I, that's so cool. Hmm. There we go. All right. Good morning. I'm Ben Mayfield. I'm the minister to students. I'm honored to be here with all of you today. Uh, I get to bring the word, and hopefully, it'll resonate with y'all today. The last two weekends have been very jammed pack for student ministry. I don't know if you heard of a little event called AYL, Alter Your Life, huh? Anybody? Make some noise if you were there. Mostly, there we go. We got some students here. That's good. Right? AYL is this awesome weekend where we have students, we have college leaders, we have adults who volunteer, we have host homes. It's this incredible, impactful weekend packed into like 48 hours, and it's incredibly insightful. And Arturo and Tyler and, and Emily and <clears throat> Ann and I, kind of that planning team, uh, along with some, some other volunteers, I kind of met with them. I said, well, what, what do we want the theme to be? What do we want this, the heart of AYL? I've never been to one. What do we want it to be? And I came with the, I want them to encounter Jesus. Just encounter Jesus in any way possible, whether that be in the worship sessions whether it be in the workshops, the community service, whether it be in the host homes, how do we encounter Jesus in real, powerful ways? And I think, I don't think I witnessed it a lot Saturday night. We had this powerful worship session. We had this, this full band right here. They're playing songs. And, you know, the students are all gathered here. The college students are with them and young adults. You know, they don't have to be college students. Some of them are graduated. We had the young adults here, and they're all worshiping together. And it's this incredible experience. And I go up. Uh, will this mic follow me? I go up here, right? And there's a whole bunch of people, like right here. And I'm trying to get past them to get to the stage. And I get to the stage, and it's that close-up. We're going to end up the worship service. Like, all right, that was great. Let's give a round of applause. Like, it was awesome. Great. All right, here's some instructions. And I get up here. To do that. And my voice is also going out at this point. So I was like, hey, everybody. If you were here at AYL Sunday, you would know that was crushed. I had a terrible voice. And I'm going, and I'm here to close out the worship service. And as I get here, this whole section, I mean, it's just filled with students, are still singing the worship song. It was set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. And it was incredible. The band kind of stopped, and I was like, all right. And they kept singing, and they kept singing. And so I, I kind of did one of these motions. All right, let's get it up. And the kids went super loud. And the band's like, oh, man, we're tired, but okay. Da -da 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 -da. Like, and, you know, and we went in, and we probably played it for another 15 minutes or so. And it was awesome. But the students were encountering Jesus in powerful ways. They were hungry for the Lord. It inspired me. And then the next weekend, because we're great with planning, we did a ski trip. <laughs> we do what we can, right? And we do this ski trip. We take about 30 students to Winter Place, West Virginia. Had some great volunteers. We get up there, had a great time, easy travel. But the motto of ski trip is, what do we do when we fall down? We learn to get back up. Because if you ever went skiing or snowboarding, what do we do a lot? We fall down. We fall down a lot. 
And sometimes when we fall down, it's defeating. We feel defeated. When you see people just shredding like myself, just like shredding, doing like some flips. <laughs> people go, oh, man, I can't beat that guy. Like, no, no, Right? When we get discouraged. But when we fall down, the key word is to learn to get back up. And we grow, and we process, we absorb, okay, well, this is how you break. This is how you, you move this way. This is how I don't fall down and snap my neck. Like, there's a lot of good skiing tips. And so we're learning this, and we're learning to get back up. And the cool part wasn't just, just the kids being able to shred the gnar. The cool part was when someone was feeling discouraged or feeling like they couldn't do it, there were students and adults, but a lot of students who walked beside them and said, I'll go with you on the slope. Instead of me going to the blue or to the black diamond, I'll be with you on the bunny slope. Let me show you how to do this. Let me walk through it to you. And in witnessing students learning how to get back up, learning that, you know, I, I may not figure this out as quickly as someone else, but there's someone always there to encourage me, to help me lift me up in this moment, was heartwarming. And this, this week, really planned it well, I'm preaching Chapel Roswell. And so I was like, all right, we're just go, go, go every weekend in February. And I started thinking about our, the scripture and what we're talking about in Mark chapter 8 and where am I been at in the season of life with AYL and with ski trip. And these two words popped into my heart, popped into my mind. And it's this. You ready? It's the best two words you ever hear today. Live differently. And that's where you clap. Just like, oh my God, that's so incredible, right? I'm just kidding. You don't have to clap. You don't have to clap. Live differently. And that came into my heart. It came to my mind. What does it mean to live differently? When I see students encounter Jesus, when I see students encourage them to get up, and, and, and learn how to get down these slopes safely in a fun way. To live differently is saying, I'm going to die to myself, die to the ways of the world, and start living for the kingdom. I'm going to start living out what it means to love God and to love people. I want to live differently. It's challenging. And we're in this season of Lent. It's the second Sunday in Lent. And we're in this season. Lent is one of my favorite seasons I love it because it represents one of my favorite Christian words, which is intentional. The season of Lent is to be intentional. It's to be, how can I uh, give something up or take something on so I can be intentional about my relationship with the Lord? The season of Lent isn't just like a punishment. The season of Lent isn't just like, all right, like, all right, Easter's coming up. It's great. The season of Lent is thinking like, what in this world is distracting me? What in this world is preventing me from having a fuller relationship with the Lord? To really encounter Jesus. What is it that I need to do to live differently so I can encounter God in powerful ways? The season of Lent is incredibly impactful if we're intentional about really living it out. And Jesus, that's right, Jesus tells us in this scripture in Mark chapter 8, and he's encouraging us to live differently. So in verse 31, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, 
and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed after three days, rise again. So at this point, Jesus is talking about kind of the biggest political, biggest uh, uh, lawyers, the biggest priests. He's talking about all these different people, and he's bringing into this picture, and he's predicting his death. And he goes into verse 32, he says, he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now this is bold. I mean, could you imagine, first of all, who uses the word rebuke? I don't know, right? But he rebukes Jesus. So imagine taking him, like, hey, Jesus, come here, bud. Come on, over here. Come on, Jesus. I'm not in trouble. Just come over here. I'm going to rebuke you. The boldness of Peter to do that to Jesus. And when we read it, we go like, ooh, Peter, you done messed up. You don't rebuke Jesus. But when I like, and if you've heard me preach before, I'm sorry. But one of the things I like to do is I like to break it down line by line. And what I like about this rebuking is we see that and we go, Peter, why would you do that? Come on. But how often do we rebuke God? How often in your life, and only you would know this, and Jesus, how often has God placed Place something on your heart or on your mind to go do something or to say something. And we say, mm, no, thank you. Mm, not right now, God. How often, maybe we don't think about it. You know, we're not like Gandalf's like, you shall not pass. Right? We're not like that with Jesus. But we say no. We often push back and say, God, I, I, I hear you, but maybe not right now. And I think that's so easy for us just to skim past that. But God's saying, you need to recognize how often you may rebuke me. And Peter is struggling with this. And the reason why he does rebuke him is he struggles because of how he sees and perceives Jesus. In the book of Daniel, chapter 7, there's a prophecy about who the Son of God will be. And Peter has this vision of, of, of this kingdom and, and this Savior coming in, and he's going to bring down this rule, right? It's going to be awesome. Whereas Jesus, the Son of Man, references Isaiah, and he tells of a suffering, suffering servant who will be despised, rejected, and oppressed, and afflicted. So I also see the, the struggle that, that Peter has where he's like, no, 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 I read it right here. It says you're going to come down here and you're going to revolutionize everything. And Peter's like, yes, but this is the way I'm going to revolutionize it this time. And he revolutionized by saying, this is who I am. You think about the Beatitudes, serve on the mount, humble, meek, right? He's, he's countercultural to what they think that the, the, the ruler of the world would be. And I think the disciples come from this place of fear, this place of uncertainty. Of like, man, like, like Jesus, like, we really believe in you. We love you. Don't really want to die. Like, could you, could you help us out here? You know, and it's this struggle. But he rebukes them. In verse 33, But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples... He rebuked Peter, and I was reading this. I wasn't there, but I was reading this in the, in the commentary. Thank you. Um, 
But it was loud enough where he knew the disciples may have heard Peter rebuke him. So he made sure, he said, I want this to be very clear. Because at some point I was like, is Jesus like calling him out trying to embarrass him? No, he wants to make sure everybody in the room is on the same page. So when, but when Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Get behind me, Satan. I'm pretty sure that's a t-shirt. Verse 33 is incredible here. Where it looks at this, and we talk about Satan. And Satan is always tempting us. Jesus, uh, Satan tempted Jesus, and Jesus knew that there's no way to truly save the world without the cross, without his sacrifice. And I use this with particularly middle schoolers. I say there's always two options in every decision you make. Two options. The high road option and the low road option. In every decision you make, you have those two, the high road and the low road. And I think Peter is looking, not necessarily consciously, but is choosing the low road option. He's saying, hey, Jesus, we could do this right now. You could come in here. You have the power. Let's do this. And Jesus rebukes him and makes sure everybody hears it. He says, Peter, you don't recognize you're choosing the low road option. You're tempting me to choose the low road option. But instead, I need to choose the high road. Because otherwise, there is no salvation. Otherwise, there is no sacrifice. There is no grace. There's no, there's no um, beautiful moment where, where I can die for your sins. If I take away Satan and we go away, sin still exists. It separates us from us. There's no way to salvation. I have to take the high road option. And it's a struggle. It's a struggle for the disciples to, to kind of grasp that. And then it goes in. Verse 34, but he called the crowd to him. Um, then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, in historical context, in the Romans, the, the cross was not a cool thing that we wear around our neck and, you know, it's great. The cross was a sign of, of torture, a sign of pain, a sign of crucifixions. And I don't know if you know what a crucifixion is. It is not, not fun. So when you hear Jesus say, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me, having that knowledge is, is terrifying. Well, you want me to take my cross? That's going to be painful and, and, and a struggle and a, and, and a suffering? You want me to do that? To deny yourself means to forget your own self-interests. This deny. When we think about original sin, we think about um, in, what's the first book of the Bible? Trivia? Genesis. Great. Genesis, there's this sinful, right? They eat the forbidden fruit. Potentially because of their being selfish. They think, you know what? I can do this. It's my wisdom. It's, it's my understanding. I can do this. I want to be in control. And that sinful nature all throughout scriptural, Scripture with this selfish interest is this one moment where he says you need to deny yourself 
and take up the cross and follow me. It says, you need to recognize that it's not about you. Deny yourself and follow God to live differently. We are creatures of self-interest. We are creatures of being selfish. I'm guilty of that as much as anybody else. And Jesus knows that if you're truly, truly going to live differently, you have to deny yourself and pull yourself away from the worldly things and start living for the kingdom. To live differently is a challenge. And he knows this. And when it says, uh, take up your cross and follow me, it doesn't mean that you need to take on a burden. It's like, all right, let me go find something and, and let me carry it with you. It says, no, the burden is saying that it's not about you, it's about God. And living differently and recognizing that we belong to God. In verse 35, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. This is where I think Jesus is talking about this clear line about salvation is through grace by faith. We are completely incapable of doing the work that would save our souls. Spoiler alert. There's a song called Reckless Love. It's one of my favorite songs. It says, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But still you give your love to me. You can't do whatever task you think it is to earn this grace. It is freely given to us. We have to accept it. We have to deny ourselves and take it to live differently. Verse 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Now, this is a really cool teacher moment for all you teachers out there, right? Jesus asks a question. He's a rabbi. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Jesus has been very direct so far. But yet this one, he asks a question. He asks an open-ended thought process. He says, I want you to go back, in today, modern terms, go back and think about it. What is it in your life that maybe you're holding so strongly to in this earthly thing? Is it reputation? Is it money? Is it um, your status, your power, how many friends you have, how many followers you have for all you, you youngins? Right? What is it in this world that we're holding on to that we are going to forfeit living differently for the kingdom? What is it that you're grasping so hard to, so desperately trying to hold on to, that one day you'll recognize that it is fleeting and this is eternal? What is it? Jesus wants you to have some discernment, to have some hard questions, to be in conversation with God. Say, so let's talk about this. That's relationship. It continues. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? A great teaching moment makes us ponder. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when it comes, to his, uh, when it comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. The word adulterous, it means to reject God and chase after the things of the world. I didn't know that. I had to Google it, in case you're wondering. But I like that because 
It means to reject God and chase after the things of this world. Lent is a time of of reflection. Lent is a time of of seeking God and, and knowing what do I need to deny in my life to really grow my relationship with the Lord. And recently, the, the season of life that I've been in with, with AYL and, and ski trip and just this incredible mission trips we had this summer that I'm super stoked about, I see this scripture and I see this pivotal moment where Jesus is saying, you have to start living differently. And it's difficult. It's not as easy as one, two, three, A, B, C. It is a difficult conversation. It's a difficult self-analyzing yourself, um, examination of, of, of what am I holding on to. But when we're able to, to figure out what is it, what is, is it, is it fear, is it embarrassment, is it the root of rejection, is it abandonment? What deep wounds do we have in our hearts and our life that is preventing us for healing and growth to live differently each and every day to seek Christ in intimate ways? What is it? That is what he's asking here in this moment. It says, stop rejecting God and chasing things of this world. Start chasing me. Deny yourself to take up this cross. Choose to live differently. Choose to live differently. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. And thank you for this opportunity just to be here as brothers and sisters, God. As I read this Mark chapter 8... It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to you, God. That we think about what it means to, to, to live differently, to live towards you, to think about what is it that is preventing us. Peter, Peter is nervous. Peter rebukes God. He says, God, you don't understand. We could do this and this. And, and Jesus says, no, Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Sometimes the Christian path, the, the path towards the kingdom is not easy. It's hard. Sometimes when, when we're trying to live differently, we have to look at the reflection of ourselves and recognize the brokenness that we have, the, fault, the, the flaws that we have, the ownership that we need to take upon ourselves. Because maybe we've said something to someone or maybe someone said something to us. Maybe it's a dad or a mom that has a hurt relationship. Maybe it's a financial struggles. Maybe it's a, a, a marriage on the brink of divorce. Maybe it's a friend who no longer feels like he's part of the friend group. Maybe you feel unwelcome at church. Whatever it may be, that God says, I need you to start living differently, to start moving closer to me. Deny those things of the world. Those things of the world will try to give you some fulfillment but they will never make you whole. They will never make you feel eternal. But walk with me and it will not be easy. It will not be all rainbows and butterflies and sunshine. It will be difficult, but you will be whole and you will be made anew. That you will experience grace and you will experience life abundantly. 
if we have a spirit to live differently. In the name we pray, God. Amen.